If you want to grab a Bible, if you can see one lying around anywhere near you, John chapter 15, which you'll find on page 1083. Uh, let me just pray for us uh, as, we, as we begin. Father in heaven, we just pray that you would be present with us now. I pray that we would know our eyes being turned towards you. We'd know something more of you, uh, something that would transform us and overflow from us as we go into this week by the power of your spirit. Amen. Um, this term, we, are, we have a series really on Christian identity. If you're a follower of Jesus, who are you? What does that mean? What are the images that the Bible uses to talk about that? And this evening, we're going to look at the idea of being a friend of God. Now, I don't know what, what that throws up in your mind, what your experience of friendship is, what you transfer onto God when you think of him being a friend. Um, some, some good and some bad, I suspect. Um, but before we, before we look at John 15, which is where we're going to base ourselves, I want to read you a completely different story. Um, it shares a little bit of a theme uh, in some ways, uh, but uh, we're just going to use this to, little, uh, to bounce off a little bit during this evening. And it's, it's called The Giving Tree, which was um, a children's story in, uh, which was, came out in the 1960s, written by this guy, Shel Silverstein. So if, uh, if you are listening to this on a recording, then basically imagine me with a bit of a grimace without my glasses on, and you're not far off. Now, he's probably not your picture of a children's book writer. Um, and in fact, he probably wasn't anyone's picture of a children's book writer. He, he was fairly gritty. He wrote a number of Johnny Cash's uh, hits. He, uh, his, one of his day jobs was also uh, doing the cartoon for Playboy magazine. So quite a breadth of uh, media involvement, one might say. <laughs> but uh, he wrote this book called The Giving Tree, which was actually highly controversial. It's beautiful on one side, but actually on, in another way, it's really quite troubling in a number of different ways. Um, but the reason he wrote it uh, was out of what he saw as the me-first attitude among his his uh, friendship circles in folk singing New York. Um, I don't know whether you relate to that among some of your friends. As I said, you probably have good and bad experiences of, of uh, friendship that you're drawing in this evening. Um, I'm aware of a narcissism that is, uh, that is around at the moment. I'm, I'm pretty cynical about Facebook and its impact on us. Um, I, uh, and I think that one of the reasons is that it makes us narcissistic. To remind you what that means, um, uh, Wikipedia defines it as the pursuit of gratification from vanity or egotistic admiration of one's own attributes, which is really what Facebook is wired for. Um, and I don't, I don't know whether, therefore, as you read this story, you will feel that same reaction uh, that uh, Shell felt in writing it about uh, some of the narcissism in our the world around us. Let me read you the story. Settle in. Once there was a tree, and she loved a little boy. And every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples, and they would play hide and go seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. And the boy loved the tree very much, and the tree was happy. But time went by, and the boy grew older, and the tree was often alone. 
Then one day the boy came to the tree, and the tree said, Come, boy, come, climb up my trunk, swing from my branches and eat apples, and play in my shade, and be happy. I'm too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want some money. I'm sorry, said the tree, I don't have any money. I have only leaves and apples. Take my apples, boy, and sell them in the city. Then you'll have money, and then you'll be happy. And so the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away, and the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away a long time, and the tree was sad. And then one day the boy came back, and the tree shook with joy. And she said, come, boy, climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm. I want a wife, and I want children, so I need a house. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house, but you may cut off my branches and build a house. Then you will be happy. And so the boy cut off her branches and carried them away to build his house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy she could hardly speak. Come, boy, she whispered. Come and play. I'm too old and sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and be happy. And so the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away. And the tree was happy, but not really. After a long time, the boy came back. I'm so sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You can't swing from them. I'm too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I am sorry, sighed the tree. I wish that I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I am just an old stump. I am sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I am very tired. Well said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down, sit down and rest. And the boy did, and the tree was happy. You know that verse in uh, Philippians 2 about how Christ emptied himself. Uh, Christ, who being in very nature not God, did not consider equality with God something Uh, to be used to his own advantage, but rather he emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That story has been used as an illustration of God's self-emptying in many, many talks. Um, But we're not looking at that that, uh, verse. We're looking at John 15, which is where we're finally going to land now. And, uh, but, but I wonder what you think of that story. What are the things that resonate? What are the dissonances? And as we come to, Luke, uh, to John 15, what are the aspects which uh, resonate? What are the dissonances between the story of this other uh, great giving tree, uh, the vine uh, that Jesus describes himself as? Uh, John 15 comes in the midst of what we call the upper room discourse. This is as Jesus is talking with his disciples over the meal, in fact, that we've just remembered um, about what is to come and what life will look like 
when he is no longer physically present with them, and he tells them to remain in him. Let's look at just a few verses in the middle where he talks about friendship. We're going to look at verses 9 to uh, 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The idea of friendship with God is one of these things where you should just be able to mention it and our jaws slack, go slack with amazement. But of course, that's not how we experience it. This language we're so familiar with. So I'm going to dry it up and I'm going to give you three aspects that I think are key to uh, the image of our friendship with God that we find here. Um, and as we go, I, my sense is that as you think about the giving tree, some of it, the good stuff resonates uh, and the stuff that is actually quite dissonant about the, that, that's quite uncomfortable about the giving tree is quite dissonant with this passage. Anyway, that's just, that, there's, I, think, I just think there's an interesting resonance between these two passages. Uh, bear that in mind as we go along. But these are the three things that I want to just talk about for a few minutes. Uh, about three aspects of our friendship with God. Firstly, is simply the idea of intimacy. Intimacy with each other, us and God. The second uh, is God's self-giving to us. Um, and thirdly, is our participation with God. And each of these um, are primarily, we're going to talk about our relationship with God, but always bear in mind that these each overflow into the way we are the presence of Christ in the world around us. Now, the second of these, the idea of God's self-giving, um, as I said, is the one that in the giving tree is most obvious and is used uh, quite frequently. And it's probably worth saying that you can live the Christian life that way. You can live the giving tree way. Uh, God gives you everything. He holds nothing back, and he demands nothing from you. And yet, he invites you into so much more. Um, That intimacy aspect and that participation aspect, I would argue, are not quite as evident in the story. And I think that relationship is dysfunctional because of those things being absent. And yet, in Luke, in John 15, they somehow complete that picture. So first, just thinking about intimacy with each other. Of course, in many ways, that's the the most obvious starting point of any uh, relationship. Now, it's not immediately obvious, maybe, in the words uh, that we read. It talks about love, but intimacy um, is less obvious. Um, And I would say that in the first place, it's, it's obvious in the... In, in just the, the surrounding of that passage, uh, the whole context is one uh, of uh, deep intimacy, of deep emotional vulnerability, of uh, a lot of weeping and a lot of comforting of each other amidst great sorrow. Um, and of course, the, the vision of a vine, we, we talk about it in quite mechanical terms, but actually it's, it's an uncomfortably 
bodily uh, image. It is as bodily as breastfeeding, this deeply personal, uh, intimate moment. Um, this idea of, of, of uh, the motherhood of God in some ways. Of course, this, the passage talks lots about the fatherhood of God, and we're not going to get into issues around God's gender. Um, the point is simply this, that, that inherent in this image is a sort of skin-on-skin intimacy, uh, a parental intimacy uh, that is at the core of our relationship with God, uh, that is, it's inherent in our createdness, and it is something that we are invited back into through Christ. As you can imagine, our, the, the ide- our identity as children is something that we're going to cover in a few weeks' time, so we won't talk much um, about that now. But thinking about the giving tree, I do think that there's a sense in which this is sorely absent. Intimacy is constantly on offer from the tree, and at the beginning you get this sense that it was there, but actually it's untested, it's false. Um, and, and at the end there's a sort of, sort of intimacy there, um, but there's a sort of reluctance. Um, I don't know. Uh, what, about, what about you? What about your friendship with God? Um, do you come to him effectively with a, I want a house, I want a boat? Or do you come able to enjoy his presence, to be intimate with him, uh, to talk to him, to listen to him? Are you able to come to God? Do you find space and time in your week to come unagended, uh, just into an intimate relationship uh, with your friend, God. How about with other people? Uh, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. What would it look like for that intimacy to spill out in some way into your relationships uh, with other people? We live such surface relationships in this world, don't we? Uh, you know, the people that we see, for many of us, the people that we see during the day inhabit a completely different world from us for the rest of, uh, for the, rest of the week. Um, what would it, what, how, would, how do we recapture some of the intimacy uh, of friendship that is implicit in all that Jesus talks about here? I don't have an answer to that. Something to chew on. So intimacy is the starting point, I'd say, in our relationship our friendship with God. Um, But secondly, as I said, the familiar bit, uh, and yet also the most profound, um, is this idea of God's self-giving to us. Um, Verse 13, greater love has no one than this uh, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus was um, hours away uh, from that moment when he would, in the most beautiful and pure way, uh, show his unconditional love for you uh, amidst all of your brokenness. There would be this moment uh, when he would take on himself uh, everything uh, that stands, all the guilt and the shame that stands in between that perfect relationship with God, that perfect friendship. He takes all of that on himself and welcomes you back into that friendship. And note, I mean, again, in going, thinking about the giving tree, there is this sort of deflation of the, the, the tree 
uh, the tree's spirits, isn't there, during the story. Uh, I don't know what to make of that in terms of how we transfer that onto Jesus. But I, but I would say this, that there is this sense of a never-giving-up love uh, that God has for us that is not reduced by our rejection of him, and it is not reduced by his self-giving of himself, that he looks on his forgiven children with the same loving friendship that he did before there was any forgiveness that was required when he walked in the cool of the day uh, with us in the garden. What would it look like for you to really inhabit this sense of God's giving of himself to you? What, what would it look like for you to inhabit that in the way that you reacted to those around you? What would it look like to sacrifice yourself for people around you, expecting nothing in return? So intimacy and uh, self-giving. And then thirdly, uh, this third element, I think, of friendship with God, as we see uh, in John chapter 15, is simply this idea of participation with each other or collaboration. I don't know if you noticed uh, a sort of jarring, as we read, uh, that Jesus mixes the idea of, of friendship and love with obedience and command. It's quite uncomfortable oil and water lack of mixing there, isn't it, in the way that we think of it. Um, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Interesting. Um, but actually, what we find as we dig into that, partly you have to understand that within that sense of, uh, of the vine and the intimacy of the wider language. Um, but what we see is that it is not a blind and slavish obedience, but it is a collaborative passionate participation in the mission of God, both as our master and as our friend. God invites us to collaborate with him in his mission to the world. And that, as, that's what he unpacks in the following verse, verse 15. I no longer call you slaves uh, because a slave does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Um, the, there are two words for friendship and love that appear in this, in this passage. Um, there, there's, the, the first sort of word group is, is agape. It's a word you've probably heard. Uh, it, it really means sort of father love is, is the key idea there. Um, and it brings with it a certain sense of duty and responsibility, not in a cold sense, but in that sort of intuitive sense of a parent with a child. Um, and, and so he uses that throughout the passage when he uses the word love and the Father's love for us and us loving uh, as the Father. But there's also this second word, philos, uh, which is not fatherly love, but, but it really is friend love. Um, you are my friends. You are my, uh, my, my philos is the word there. It's, it's the word of equals. It's the word of colleagues. It's a word of affection, in fact. Um, you know that uh, the perennial uh, youth group question, I know God loves me, but does he like me? Um, and, and in some ways, here is the answer. You can choose your friends. You can't choose your family. God uh, comes not just with the duty and responsibility of a parent, but with the choice of liking and having affection for us as his friends. Um, but there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, the, the word has, a, has that feel of collaboration. 
it has that sense, I suppose that's a pre-industrial sense of friend, uh, which is, yes, it's a friendship, but there's this assumption of mutual support. Um, I'm, you know, that I, that when it comes to harvest time, I'm gonna go, and go around to my neighbor and I'm gonna help him bring in his harvest and he's gonna help me bring in mine. That's, that's about the extent of my farming knowledge. Um, so I won't, uh, won't try and get any more technical than that. Um, but there is that sense of mutual collaboration. Um, there's an active expression uh, of, uh, of helping each other in each other's mission, in each other's world. Um, now, uh, as, as I hope is clear from the things that I've already said, of course, that aspect of our friendship with Christ isn't, um, isn't the sort of make or break starting point. It's not required in the sense that Christ has done it all on uh, the cross. And yet, to have uh, the full, rich experience of friendship with God, it has to be part of it. Um, and if, if there isn't that sense of participating with God alongside him as his friend uh, in all that he's doing, then we haven't really grasped the reality of his friendship. We are invited to join alongside him in his business because he has, so, he has shown us what that is. He's shown us what his, uh, his business is. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I say, well, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that I, I would love. I mean, we're, we're at the point, Miriam and I, where we're trying to work out what might be next in our lives, and we would love a little bit more clarity from God about what his will is for our lives. Um, but of course, actually, if you think in terms of friendship versus uh, servanthood or slavery, um, you micromanage a, a, a slave or a servant. You tell them exactly what to do, when and where. You don't do that with a friend, even one who you've brought in to uh, join you in your harvest. They know what needs to be done. They know your heart. You can trust them. They just get on with it. Um, maybe that's the way we need to think of uh, that longing for God to be a little bit clearer about what he wants from us. We need to think about him as um, somebody who trusts us uh, as a friend, doesn't need to micromanage us as a servant or a slave. So what is then the business that God is calling us into? Well, of course, in some ways, uh, he wires us all differently, and it means slightly different things in specific terms for each one of us. But, but in the most general sense, I would say uh, that it is about being a blessing to the world. The, um, the imagery of the vine is, is all over the Old Testament. It's a very rich Old Testament image. Um, that, that idea of the people of Israel uh, being God's vine, uh, bearing fruit, bringing joy and uh, shade and comfort to uh, the nations around. And the people of Israel saw this as absolutely core to their identity. They would have seen it every time they went into the temple. There was this enormous golden vine across the top of the temple door. And yet, as you probably uh, know from your Old Testament, this was, there was a constant failure to really bear the fruit of the vine. The people of Israel failed consistently to be that uh, presence of God in the world. But in Christ, that is made new again. We are invited back into that calling, back into the fullness of our humanity, which is to be the presence of God uh, to the world around us. 
So, as you start to think about the week that lies ahead, um, and you think of, of God going with you into the week as your friend, um, I want you just to take a moment to think about which of these three aspects you may, may need to focus on in your relationship. Is it that sense of unagendered intimacy? Is it that making space uh, to be with God, uh, to listen to, his, to him speak, uh, to speak to him, to share your heart uh, without it being uh, lots of demands necessarily? Is it more around uh, that sense of just needing to, to, uh, to sit in a sense of his self-giving of himself for you? Sit on the stump as the story uh, had it. Are you able to receive empty-handed all that Christ has done for you? Or is it that sense of participation? Do you need to go into this week knowing that you know the master's business? Uh, you know your friend's business, and uh, he trusts you to be uh, his blessing uh, to the world as you go into this week. Let's maybe just take a minute or two to be quiet um, and think about which of those three we want to focus on this week. Father, the idea of your friendship with us uh, goes beyond what we can grasp. Um, and we are sorry for how cold we are to it and how uh, accepting without really understanding we are of that idea. I pray that we would know something more of it this week. And I pray that we would see uh, your friendship um, uh, as we relate to you, as we spend time with you, uh, as uh, we dwell on your giving of yourself to us um, and as we participate with you in uh, your mission to this world. May we know your gift of friendship. Amen.